Good morning. I want to start this morning with a quick word association exercise. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them what's the first thing that you think about after you hear this word. Okay, you got it? Okay, the word is motorcycle. Okay, okay. You know, it's interesting when you do something like that because you get lots of different words. Like, you know, I heard the word dangerous. Like some people think, you know, some people think fun, kind of the opposite of that. You know, I heard people think about like, you know, like a bicycle, motorcycle gang. Um, someone said evil evil, And so, you know, just lots of great words. But whatever your word was, it was likely it was shaped by three things. And, and they all start with the letter P. So there's just the three Ps. The first one is what's your past experience, right? And so like when you think about this exercise, um, I grew up with a dad who was a doctor and early in his career, he worked a lot in an emergency room. And I can remember from a very young age, him coming home and just saying, whatever you do, stay away from motorcycles, right? Because he had seen firsthand what could happen, right? So that's it. So your past experience. The second thing is your personality. Right? If you are a risk taker, you have a decidedly different perspective on motorcycles than if you're more conservative. Now, to give you just a glimpse into my personality, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, one of our staff members got to spend time with my wife. And afterwards, she came up to me and she said, you know what? I just love your wife. I go, she's fun. She's funny. You two are so different. <laughs> right? So just look at me, Mr. Not Fun and Not Funny, okay? Um, But, you know, I'm a firstborn. I'm more conservative. So, you know, motorcycles to me are kind of scary. And then the third thing is the people you hang around, right? That's the third P. So your past experience, your personality, and the people you hang around with. And so depending on whether you hang around with people that ride motorcycles, that might impact how you think about that word. Right? And so uh, for f- the first 45 years of my life, I'm like, I'm staying as far away from motorcycles as I can. And then one time I took a, a short vacation and I got to ride a moped. And I thought, man, these things are kind of fun. And so about five years ago, you know, my commute to work was only about three miles and I could go down kind of residential streets. I decided I was going to learn to drive a motorcycle. And so I signed up in the state of Texas, you have to take a two-day basic kind of, you know, learning motorcycle class. So I signed up for one. I came that Saturday morning. I showed up. There were eight students, six young guys in their 20s wanting to learn to ride motorcycles, a college-age girl that wanted to ride a motor scooter, and me, the guy who was having a midlife crisis, okay? (laughs) And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I've never been on a motorcycle before, but I got this. And for the better part of the first day, I did get it. You know, I I was listening and I was doing what I was told and my confidence was growing. That is until the very last exercise of the day. So in the very last exercise of the day, we're practice making turns and we're in this big parking lot with cones and I start to go around this cone and the bike is moving too slowly. 
And when it's moving too slowly, it begins to wobble like this. And so, you know, I hit the gas a little bit just as I was starting to make the turn. Okay, now, for those of you who haven't been on a motorcycle, they recommend you do not hit the gas when you're taking turns. Because what happened to me is a perfect example. Over the handlebars I went, right, landed on my shoulder, rolled onto my back, was flat on my back, and before I knew it, I had eight sets of eyes staring down at me asking if I was okay. And I was so embarrassed. Like, the only thing I'm thinking is, I gotta get up. And my shoulder hurt, and I had sprained my ankle. And, um, and the guys are just saying, hey, just stay put. Okay, then it gets worse. Someone decides to call an ambulance for me, okay? <laughs> so now I'm on my back, I'm laying there, they won't let me get up, and an ambulance shows up in this parking lot. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just thinking, can I just go, can I just go die somewhere? And, um, and so, you know, because I ha I'm very image conscious, I'm trying to pretend I'm not that hurt and I rejected the ambulance service. And fortunately, the guy who's the instructor, he said, okay, that's enough for today. We're just gonna start again tomorrow. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, as I was walking off, I was kind of limping and I'm just thinking, I wonder if you can actually fail basic motorcycle school, you know? <laughs> and, um, and that's my experience with motorcycles. And so here is, by the way, a picture of me on a motorcycle. Let's see if, if we've got it. There it is. Okay, so now I ride it, and I've only got two rules. One, it has to be warm, and two, it has to be dry. But the thing about motorcycles is, listen, you can never forget that they're really dangerous. Because if you do, you're in trouble. And you could do everything right, and it's still not end well for you. And you might think, well, what does that have to do with today's message? Well, today we are talking about something that is very emotionally charged, right? People have very deep perspectives on their money. And it's influenced by the three Ps. You know, so it's influenced by your past experience. And if you grew up in a home where there wasn't a lot of money, the odds are that that's probably shaped you to this point today. Or maybe you grew up in a home where a lot of the extra money just went to travel. And so you think that's what families do. But whatever your experience is, it's, there's a good consideration that has marked you to this day. Okay, now, I told you my dad was a doctor. The other thing my dad was is he was a very savvy investor. And so when I was six years old, um, he got me involved investing in the stock market, okay? Now, the way this worked basically is he gave me allowance. So really it was his money. And we would sit down and we would have these stockholder meetings. And my dad, my dad was the greatest stockbroker ever because I never lost money on a single stock I bought. He made sure that I had a positive experience, right? So he would sell me something that he had bought at 20 and now was at 40. He, would, he might sell it to me at 15, right? So I would be guaranteed to make money because he wanted me to connect. That's what you do with your money. And so I grew up thinking, well, that's what you do. You, you, know, you live on some, but what is extra, you invest, and that earns a return. And then, you know, you think about the next thing that impacts how you think about money, and that's your personality. And so if you're very risk-averse, right, you want to hang on to your money. Um, if, on the other hand, you're a party in a box, right, party in a box, you might just be a little bit more free-spending with what you've got but your personality definitely impacts how you think about it. And then finally, the third thing is, is the people you hang around. And so, you know, I grew up as a, a not only a, a doctor's kid, but a Navy doctor's kid. And so we lived in lots of different places around the U.S. 
And so for a while, we lived in Washington, D.C. Okay, now here's a question. In Washington, D.C., how do they decide if someone is important? Okay, does anybody? Okay, it's in Washington, D.C., it's your job. Okay, and really it's about the power. How close are you to the White House or to a congressman or to a senator? But that's really how they establish the pecking order. It's, it's where you work, okay? Then for two years, I lived in Boston. And in Boston, the values are a little bit different. What's important in Boston? Like in terms of how are they deciding how important you are? Okay, education. That's right, I just heard on the first row. So Boston has more colleges per capita than anywhere in the U.S., and they decide the pecking order largely by, hey, where'd you go to school? Okay. Then I lived in Los Angeles. Okay. Now, if it's power in Washington, D.C. and it's education in Boston, what do you think it is in, in Los Angeles? Okay. In Los Angeles, it's what you have and how you look. Okay. And that's how they decide who's important. And what I would just say is that I think after having lived here in Dallas, Dallas is more like Los Angeles than any city I know. And so we live in a culture that's trying to value you based on what you have. And that makes it especially difficult to deal as you think about my money. And so we're launching a three-week series today on how we can deal with our money well, because the Bible just says, hey, there is a strong connection between you know, what you have and how you use it and your spiritual health. There's a direct connection. And what's interesting is that in the society we live in, we don't want to talk about our money. I mean, like, that's personal. And so you can ask me anything, but don't ask me about my money. And yet what's interesting is Jesus talked more about money than any other thing. Like, if you look at the Bible, there's 500 verses on faith and 500 verses approximately on prayer. And guess how many there are on money? 2,000. And Jesus told stories, right? Do you know that two-thirds of the stories he told involve money or possessions? Two-thirds. And he talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And what you realize is that Jesus, right, who was always willing to buck conventional norms, is he understood the connection between your money and your heart. And he spent a lot of time talking it, about it because he wanted to make sure we had that relationship right. So for the next couple of weeks, we're focused on a series just called Right on the Money. And the whole point is just to say, listen, we know that your perspective on money is shaped by your past and your personality and the people you hang out with, but it should also be informed by what the Bible says because the God who created us had a lot to say. And so today, I just want to look at five common things that people do that are the opposite of being right on the money. These are things that people do that get in the way of them managing money well, okay? And what I'd like to do is make this a bit of a quiz. And so what I want to do on each of these five things, I just want you to say, how good am I at that one? And five means you're great. Like five, you should be up here teaching, okay? And I'll just bring you up here with me. And one is, I'm a train wreck in that, okay? But I don't want anybody to know, okay? But just between you and me. Okay, are you ready? Okay, number one, the first mistake that people make with their money is that they think their money belongs to them, okay? 
And so what that means is, is, hey, I get to do with my money whatever I want to do because it's mine and not yours. Okay? And when you carry that idea into the church, some people think, well, yeah, but I'm a Christian, so 10% of my money I have to give away, but 90% is mine. Okay? And I can do whatever I want with it. And one of the questions we want to learn to ask as we're looking to grow in our faith on any topic is always to say, what does the Bible have to say about that? That should be your very first question, okay? So when it comes to money, right, and who owns it, what does the Bible have to say about that? And so if we look in Psalm 24, what what the Bible says is, hey, you got this backwards. It's not that you own it, God owns it. He owns everything. And he's giving it to you to manage for him. But no, make no mistake about it, it's his. And so in Psalm 24:1, it just says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all his people belong to him. And you get this sense that, okay, you know, we've got this upside down. And it's not our money that we get to do what we want with. It's God's money that he has given to us and he expects us to be a good manager with it. Okay, now this lesson hit home for me several years ago. In fact, here at Watermark, there was a Sunday when we were talking about money and everybody, when they came in the door, they got an envelope and in the envelope, everybody got some money. And you're thinking, man, I wish we were giving money away today, right? But in the envelope, it was a dollar or maybe $5 or $10. And so the church was giving you money and just said, hey, listen, We want you to go out and invest this well, right? We want you to do something, to love somebody or to do something with it. And um, it's not yours, but we're giving it to you to go love other people. And what was crazy was how different people thought about that money compared to the rest of their money, right? Like the dollar or the $2 or the $5. I know people that like thought about it all week. Like, what am I going to do with the $5, because I want to make sure I invest it well. And so there was one story of someone that said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the five. I'm going to add some money to it. And I'm going to sponsor a kid that lives in poverty through Compassion International. And that's what they did with the money. Now, someone else, they took their money and they said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a friend to lunch that I've never shared about Jesus with. And I'm going to take him to lunch and I'm going to share about Jesus. And the interesting thing about it was just how serious everybody took the exercise. Because when it's not your money, when when it's somebody else's money and you're responsible for it, it completely changes the way you think about it, okay? And by the way, you know what? If it's not my money, like I'm happy to give your money away, right? I just don't want to give my money away. But if you begin to think about it as it's not yours, sometimes that makes it easier to give away because I don't have to worry about it. Okay, so how are you doing on this first one? Okay, because what's interesting is if you look into the Old Testament, there's a a book in the prophets, minor prophets, by Malachi. And Jesus, uh, you know, and God, and they're just talking about this. But the point in this, this whole thing is God saying to his people, listen, you have this whole perspective on who owns money completely upside down. And so this comes out of Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. And it just says, 
ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me because you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that this may be food in in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be room enough to store it. Not room enough to store it, okay? So I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? Now that's a passage. And what God is essentially saying is, is, hey guys, you think that the money you have belongs to you. And so you're not using it to love other people and give money away where it's needed. Right? You think it's for you. And in, in many ways, this is almost like, you know, I used to live with a guy before I was married who worked for UPS, okay? And so his job every morning was to get packages from someone that, you know, and then to deliver them to where they needed to go, okay? Now, if he had decided that he could just take the packages and bring them home to our house, okay, would that be okay? No, his job wasn't, as an owner, his job was to get them from one spot to another spot. And when God talks about this, what he says is, listen, I'm giving you money, resources, okay? And I want you to use those to bless and love and serve other people. They're not for you. Now, part of them, it's okay if like, you know, my friend that worked for you best, if he got a salary, okay? But the end goal wasn't just to bring the packages home and leave them at our house. And that's what God is getting at here is, hey, do we understand that the money we have isn't ours. He's given it to us and he's expecting us to use it to bless and love and serve other people, okay? Now, how are you doing on that one? Scale of one to five. Would you give yourself a five or maybe a four or a one? Okay, get your grade and then we'll go to number two. Okay, you ready? Okay, number two. The second thing people get wrong with money is people don't have a plan for how they are going to steward it. Okay, and steward is just a biblical term, which just basically means manage. They don't have a plan for how they're going to manage it. And what I would say is, is, listen, it's very difficult to manage something well if you don't know where it's going. Okay, and yet for many of us, you know, we're not exactly sure where it goes. I mean, like we know we get checks deposited in our banking account and we pay our, our mortgage or our rent and our car and and then maybe we go out a couple times and all of a sudden it's gone. And, and, and what I would just say is, is, if you don't know where it's going, almost by definition, it's very hard to manage it. Okay? Now, I used to have a way that I did this back when I was single, and it worked something like this. My plan was don't spend money. Right? Okay? And some of you are not in your heads. You like my plan. Right? Don't spend money, and then when you need it, you have it. Okay, let me just tell you, I learned the hard way. That does not work well when you get married. Okay, all right. And what happens is you, you see values surface 
different values, the way people think about money and save money and spend money, all you need to do is get married. And it just gets a lot more complex. And by the way, once you have kids, it gets even harder, right? It's easy to say no to yourself. It gets much harder to say no to your kids, okay? So now I live in a world where I've got college educations and I have four of my five kids are girls and so now I have weddings. And it's, it's complicated, people, right? And I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what's the plan? How much do I save? How much do I give? You know, and, um, and what I would just say about that is, is um, things go much better if I sit down and develop a plan. And then I, then I know where it's going to go. And we're going to talk about this the next two weeks here, right? Like, how do you develop a plan? And, you know, the parts of a plan, like you'd want to say, hey, you want a plan that prioritizes giving. You want a plan where you live below your means, right? You want to put one of the biggest mistakes people make is that when they get a raise from work, they allow their standard of living to go up, right? And so they always feel like this pressure that there's just not enough money. And so part of a plan is one of the smartest things you can do is, is when you get a raise, don't raise your standard of living because that creates margin. So we'll talk about that in the next two weeks. So we're just gonna gloss over it right here. The other thing is, is water, at Watermark, we've got this thing called Money Wise. And Money Wise is a five-week class that, that helps with a biblical perspective on how to manage your money. And we've got a class coming up. It starts on Thursday night, June the 1st. And it's the five Thursday nights in June. So if that's something that would be helpful to you, right, sign up. And just parenthetically, uh, there's usually two groups of people that sign up for that class, by the way. One is people that are just starting off in their careers and they want to get a, a good handle on the basics, okay? The other is people that have already screwed up their financial lives, right? And now they're trying to, fi to fix it. And I would just say to you, look, there's a, it's a lot less painful to do it on the front end than on the back end, Okay? And so that's something you can do. But that's the second one. So let me just ask you, you know, do you have a plan for how to spend God's money and how he wants you to invest it? Okay, scale of one to five. Okay, you got a number? All right, let's go on to number three. Number three mistake that people make is they rely on conventional wisdom when they think about being a money manager, not the Bible's wisdom. And so what I would say is our society teaches us a lot of things about how we should handle our money. And if those things line up with what God says, then usually it's good advice. But there are a lot of instances where they don't line up, okay? And I wanna look at two of those specific instances where we've allowed conventional wisdom to impact how we think about managing our money. The first one um, is found in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. And it's just, it's called the parable of the widow with the two mites, okay? And here's the story. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything 
she, all she had to live on. Okay, so that's the story. Now, if we took conventional wisdom and we, and we were giving advice to this widow, what would we say? Okay, the natural thing to say would be, hey, listen, you should not give that money because that's all you've got, right? You need that money to eat. And the people that should give, those are the ones with extra money, right? But you, this doesn't apply to you. And that runs directly counter, that conventional wisdom with what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, listen, if you're going to understand the purpose of money, you're going to understand that we have it to invest in others. And it doesn't matter if you have two coins or a gazillion dollars. And yet, conventional wisdom seems to convince people that, hey, if you don't have much money, then you shouldn't make giving a priority, right? That's for the rich people. And by the way, the rich people are always the ones that have more than you, okay? So that's where we've got to go, whoa, no matter where we are, we need to think about how do we plan giving into our financial plan, okay? Now, the second story is kind of on the other end of the continuum. And this is the story of the, it's the, the story of the rich fool, okay? And this comes out of Luke 12. So uh, this again is G, involves Jesus. And someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Okay? So in this second story, we've got a guy who is very successful in his business. And he's thinking towards the future. And he's like, well, geez, I've got this money and I can, I can invest it and save it. And that's what I should do, you know, for my retirement so I can eat, drink, and be happy. And this is the only spot in the entire Bible where Jesus calls somebody a fool. It's the only spot. And he just says, man, you got your priorities messed up. You know, somehow you think about that I have given you these resources so you can just spend them all yourself. Instead of, listen, you need to think about how you're going to use this to serve and love and bless the people around you, right? Because that's why I've given you these resources. And so you've got these two very conventional stories. One about a woman that's very poor who gives and Jesus says, you're on the right path. And another about a guy who's very wealthy, who's storing up barns, and Jesus calls him a fool. If we're going to manage money well, we've got to understand what is God's perspective on it. And that always doesn't align 
with what the world tells us. And unless we get that straight, we're going off the path. Okay. So on this question number three, how are you doing? As you think about managing your money, are you using conventional wisdom or are you using biblical wisdom to figure that out? Okay, scale of one to five, right? Everybody with me so far? Okay, now let's do the fourth area. So the fourth area um, is, is this one. It's uh, people make a mistake. They believe money can solve their problems and make them happy, okay? Now, one of my favorite philosophers is Mike Tyson, okay? Mike Tyson says some of the most thoughtful things, right? Like, so, you know, I worked in strategy consulting kind of in a past life. And Mike Tyson once said about strategy, everybody's got a strategy until they get punched in the mouth, okay? There's a lot of wisdom to that. I mean, you got to be able to adapt, okay? So a couple of months ago, you know, I was surfing uh, YouTube or something like that. And Mike, it, was, it was Mike Tyson talking about money, okay? Now, here's a guy who has made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. And here's what Mike Tyson says about money. He says, if you think a lot of money is going to make you happy, you never had a lot of money, okay? Now, I've spent 10 years of my career working with, um, in the kind of in the investment management space, right? I was at a hedge fund where the minimum investment was about $5 million. And I came across a lot of people with a lot of money. And let me just tell you, it doesn't make you happy. And, um, and for most of us, right, we struggle to believe that. We're like, well, I'd really like to test out that idea myself, right? <laughs> I mean, how about somebody gives me five million and we'll see how I do, okay? And so the, the point here um, is that a lot of times it, it's not the money, it's, it's what we think it will bring us, right? So like if you're conserved, stick in the mud like me, right? You might think, hey, um, that's going to make you so you don't have to worry, right? Your car breaks down, no big deal, right? You got to pay for a college education, that's okay. Um, it's going to take that worry out of your life. Or someone else might say, hey, you know what? The thing about money is, um, is it freedom. I can quit my job and I can do whatever I want to do. And so money represents freedom to them. Um, for others, you know, it's kind of, Happiness, Like I know people that when they're in a bad mood, they go out and spend money and it makes them feel better, you know, for like a day. And, um, and so step back and go, hey, wh what am I looking for money to do in my life? What does it represent to me? And if you can get your arms on that, right? In the Bible, uh, Jesus just says, hey, listen, you can't serve both God and money. And the reason why is, is that money is promising you security and happiness and freedom and peace. And in the end, it's a liar. Okay? In the end, Jesus is the only thing that's going to give you security and happiness and peace and joy. And so there's a very poignant story in uh, Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 6. This is kind of the, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and here's what it says, right? It just says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? And one thing that we all know to be true 
is if you go look at like our bank statement, that would be a good indication of what you value. Like just where, where's the money going? Because all of us tend to invest in things um, that mean a lot to us. And Jesus is just saying, hey, listen, um, if you don't want your money to get you, then gratitude and giving is a good anecdote for that. And you ought to be investing it in something that's going to last forever. And the thing that lasts forever are people. And so that's where you should think about investing your money. And so just scale of one to five, you know, how often do you buy into the lie that more money is going to make you happy? Okay, because if you do, then you're going to spend a significant part of your life trying to figure out how do I get more? How do I spend less? Right, and it just, it just sucks your focus right there. Okay, so scale of one to five, write yourself down on that one. Okay, now the next one, number five. This is one of my favorites, okay? Five is the mistake that people make is they focus on getting, not giving, okay? And um, to, to illustrate this point, you know, so uh, my wife and I, we've been now married a little bit more than 25 years, okay? And so uh, if you were to go back to our wedding day, um, you know, by the way, we disagree on how many people were actually at our wedding. She says about 200. I think it was like 2 million, Okay. All right, so, um, but if you were to ask all 2 million people that were at our wedding, okay, um, who is the better money manager, okay? I'll bet you that I would win in, like in a landslide. I mean, like I got a dad who started me investing in the stock market when I was six years old, okay? I've got a business degree from Harvard Business School. I spent 10 years working for hedge funds and wealth management firms, right? My wife... She teaches preschool, okay? Now, who, who do you want managing your money, okay? The preschool teacher or the Harvard MBA? Okay, but, but at our wedding, um, the guy who was marrying us was the guy who had introduced me to Jesus. And I'd known him for 19 years by the time he was getting married. And my wife had worked for him at a church for nine years. So he knew us really well. And in the middle of the service, in front of all 2 million people, right? He says, he says, John, in this lifetime, you're going to make a lot of money. And Jeannie, and looked at her, you're going to find a way to give it all away. Okay? Now, it has taken me years to understand the significance of that. But who would you rather have manage your money? The one that's focused on getting it? Or the one who's going to make eternal significant deposits by giving it away? Right? Because much to my chagrin... The preschool teacher is lapping me in terms of understanding kingdom's perspective on money, right? God has entrusted us with money to invest in the lives of other people. And so how are you doing in, on this last one? When you think about your life, right, are you focused on getting or are you focused on giving? Because if you want to be right in the money, then the giving part is the way you make an eternal impact with your money. And you store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Okay, that's the fifth one. Okay, so now everybody should have a scale of one to five on the five questions, right? So the most you have is 25. The, the least you can have is five, okay? And we're all somewhere in the middle. 
And, and what I would just say to you is this, look, I've lived with this for 25 years and my score is not as high as I want it to be, right? I have to learn all over all the time that it's not about me, I gotta invest it. And this lesson came home to me um, especially poignantly uh, a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago, Watermark sent, I think there were six of us, to India, to northern India. And we were having a pastor's conference there. So there were about 100 pastors kind of from all over North India that were coming to this conference. And it was a two-day conference. And, um, and what was interesting was is these pastors, okay, in northern India, it's 1% Christian, 1%. And so these pastors are outsiders, right? And in India right now, there's a lot of persecution if you're not Hindu, okay? And so no one is lifting these, these people up, okay? The second thing is they're poor, okay? On average, they make about $100 a month, okay? That's $3 a day. Now, most of them didn't have cars, and so they're getting to this conference on buses, okay? And I'm not talking about like nice buses that you see, you know, going down to Austin and back, okay? We're talking about buses where there's people like sitting on top of the bus. You know, you've seen these pictures. Two days just to get to this conference. And then they're gonna have to go two days home. And so we're putting on this conference and at the very end of it, at the very end of it, they came up and they hand me this envelope. And they said, Mr. John, this is our gift to you, Watermark Church. And, I, and I'm like, I can't take that. I can't take it. You should keep it. And they said, oh, Mr. John, you don't understand, right? God has entrusted us with this money and we're to give it to you. And so I brought this envelope home and I couldn't, I couldn't even open it for a week. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how wrong have I gotten it? I mean, here is a group of people that are persecuted, that are poor, and yet they understand what the purpose of money is. They understand it's not for keeping it, but that God wants us to use it to invest in the lives of others. And so I finally got it home and I counted it. In here is 5,625 rupees. Okay, that equates to about $67. And yet, this might just be the 67 most precious dollars I've ever been given. And, and I don't know what we're gonna do with it as a church, but I know that we have a responsibility because there's a lot of sacrifice behind this. And so for 25 years, I've been in the church, I've been around money, and I have to learn all over again every day about money and what God wants us to do with it and about how we can use it to store up an eternal treasure. And so today I just wanna close just by saying, how are you doing with the money God's entrusted to you? Because he's given it to us for a reason and he wants us to use it to love and invest in others. And to my shame, I had to learn that lesson all over again, halfway around the world with a group of Indian pastors that I hold in high regard. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
I thank you for everybody that's in this room. Lord, I know it's hard to talk about money. And um, I know that it's very emotional for people. And Father, I pray that you would make us a group of people that are great money managers, that handle the money well, that invest it well, that think of others before ourselves. Lord, help us to be a generous people and a people that understands that we are building up treasure in heaven by the way we handle our finances. We pray this in your name. Amen.